What do ACDC, Alice Cooper, and Hasbro all have in common? Ouija boards. Now, while the association between Alice Cooper and Ouija boards is set a bit more in legend, the other two are fact. <laughs> Ghostly greetings, everyone. This is Lacey Wynn, and you are listening to the premiere of the Myths and Magic podcast. This is a podcast for horror, mythology, and all things spooky. This is my little creepy corner of the internet where I take you along my explorations of eerie encounters, frightening folklore, and all things that go bump in the night. Now, if you haven't guessed yet, in today's episode, you're taking my hand and we are going down this rabbit hole of where the hell did Ouija boards come from, why are they considered evil, and how are they now a children's game? <laughs> Am I right? If I had to choose one thing that made humankind on edge or scared even, it would be the unknown. So it's no surprise that earlier versions of the Ouija boards, talking boards, spirit boards, whatever you'd like to call them, have been around since 551 BC in ancient China where they were used to talk to the dead. It is also claimed that Pythagoras, you know, the Greek philosopher who made important developments in mathematics, astronomy, and music, yeah, he used it to unearth revelations of the unseen world. And these boards are connected to the ancient Romans, where two people tried to use one to predict the successor to the king, but not everything goes according to plan because they were tried for treason and hung, and the claimed successor was executed immediately. <laughs> so, Rome wasn't too big of a fan of these boards. But it just goes to show you that humans are curious and they crave knowledge, even if that knowledge is from the grave. Flash forward to 1848, where we meet the Fox sisters. These sisters, Maggie and Kate, had a very special talent. One might even say party trick. <laughs> they had so much time on their hands that they discovered they could crack their bones to replicate the sound of rapping on the walls and furniture and claim it as a sign of communication from the dead. Now, during this time, it's no secret that the human race had an obsession with death. It was everywhere, and you were considered lucky if you lived past 40 years old, or if half your children survived their first year of life. But back to the Fox sisters, because they brought a sense of hope with their scammy talents, and thus sparked a spiritualism craze throughout the U.S., this rise in spiritualism was based on the belief that the living could communicate with the dead, and people ate this up. Maggie and Kate started getting quite the crowd of people to attend their public seances, 400 people at one point. And of course, in true American fashion, their oldest sister Leah decided that they could turn this into a lucrative business. <laughs> Even though the sisters were a hit and wowed many by their otherworldly communications, they still had unbelievers and the ones who correctly guessed that they were just cracking their knuckles and toes. But like I said earlier, death was heavy on the brain 
and most people just wanted to communicate with their loved ones who have passed on. I feel really bad for those who fell victim to the sisters' gimmick. However, the rise in the belief that we can communicate with the dead sparked Charles Kennard's talking board business. We don't know who exactly created the first Ouija board with letters, numbers, and a cursor to point towards the script, but like Leah, Kennard saw this as an opportunity to capitalize on the popularity of seances and, well, personal pain. <laughs> Kennard didn't care about the spiritual movement, and after teaming up with a coffin maker slash undertaker who was a Prussian immigrant, he decided he really didn't care too much about him either once he started looking for investors in the project. Oof. It's just all about the money. <laughs> That's where Elijah Bond comes in. He was an attorney who became interested in the talking board and formed the Kennard Novelty Company in 1890 along with other investors. Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, had a helping hand in giving the board its iconic Ouija name after asking the board its name, though that theory has a bit of controversy. These boards became incredibly popular due to the fact that so much death was in everyone's day-to-day. -day. These people wanted to be able to communicate with their loved ones on the other side and would grasp at any belief they could. They saw this board as their best bet, especially since it was a chance of escapism during the devastation of the Great Depression and it hit the shelves for $1.50 in 1891. Even though the board sold really well, the original team dissolved due to internal conflicts. I mean, can you imagine? Charles Kennard is just doing things for the money. Do you think he cares about anybody on his team? No. And William Fold took over the rights. After Fold's death in 1927, the board continued to be a moneymaker for the Fold family until it caught the eye of the largest toy company in America none other than Parker Brothers. They bought the manufacturing rights to the board in 1966, and instead of giving it a family-friendly makeover, they continued marketing it with a darker look. And this proved to be a really good play for the company, seeing as fascination with spiritualism and the occult skyrocketed in the 1960s. And by 1967, the board actually outsold Monopoly. Flash forward to 1991 when the game was transferred to Hasbro as part of their acquisition of the company, hence why it's considered a children's game today. For the most part, Ouija boards were seen as pure and creatives even looked to these talking boards for inspiration for their creativity. Do you remember Magic 8-Balls? That's kind of how people during this time viewed the Ouija board. It was a cute little game where you could ask questions like, should I quit my job? Or will Bobby and I get married? It was innocent to most. Remember how I said Alice Cooper has a tie to the Ouija board? Yeah, well, legend has it that he asked the board who he was in his past life and it responded by spelling out Alice Cooper, who apparently was a witch in the 17th century. Spooky. Actually, according to my sources, he just simply chose the name because it was a little spooky and wholesome. And plus, 
someone would inevitably ask, who the hell is Alice Cooper? They're all dudes. It wasn't until The Exorcist in 1973 that the attitudes towards the spirit boards changed. Now, because the movie was supposedly based on a true story about a child playing with a Ouija board and then becoming possessed so closely after the Manson cult murders, sent everyone running from the boards. This also helped to plant the seeds that, quote unquote, evil witchy cults run the world due to the rise in modern Satanism. Suddenly, Ouija boards became an evil tool, and Americans were swept up in satanic panic come the 80s, when a group of Californian kids said their school was a location for rape, prostitution, and satanic rituals. This, of course, made parents lose their mind and only fueled rebellious children to play into these evil activities like Ouija boards, Dungeons and Dragons, and ACDC. <laughs> Speaking of ACDC, let me tell you how they tie into these spirit boards. So, there's a demonic entity that apparently is attached to the Ouija board experience named Zozo. This entity has accounts that date back to Mesopotamia, which is wild to think about. I'm not going to dive too far into Zozo the demon in this episode because A, the more research I do, the more terrifying it is, and B, I want to do my best to stay on track. So maybe I'll dip my toes a little more in a future episode or something. But anyway, back to ACDC. So in 1982 in Oklahoma City, Darren Evans and his at-the-time girlfriend discovered a Ouija board hidden under the house during a maintenance project. The board wasn't placed there by anyone in the house. At this point, I'm not sure if I would continue living in the house, like that's a big red flag. Worst still, each corner of the board was home to a glass jar filled with decaying blackbird bodies. Like, <laughs> no, that's a sign to leave if I've ever seen one. Like your house is haunted. Even with this eerie discovery, Darren decides to take the board into his house and try to contact none other than ACDC's frontman, Bon Scott, aka his idol. And like any story of demonic communication, the entity tried its best to use a friendly approach to replicate Australian verbiage with a I mate. <laughs> to really sell the point that Darren was speaking to his idol. It was all short-lived based on his account of what happened in his life afterwards with attacks, attempted demonic possession, and his friend Randy's death was even predicted by the board. My question is why is the board still around? Isn't that enough to just not mess with it? Well, maybe it's all a coincidence. At least that's one theory behind the authenticity of Ouija boards. The idiomotor effect is an action caused by unconscious involuntary motor movements based on prior expectations, suggestions, and preconceptions. This effect was first recognized in the 19th century when fascinations with dowsing, pendulums, Ouija boards, and automatic writing started to rise. The idiomotor effect is a classic example of how we can be fooled by our senses and ourselves. And I, I do think that 
it is something to note when it comes to spiritualism. There's so much that goes on with our brains that we don't even realize subconsciously we think certain ways or unconsciously we have certain knowledge. And I just think that it's something to note within this, this realm of communication. So what do you believe? Do you think Ouija boards are a communication portal to the dead? Or do you believe that people are experiencing paranormal phenomena through unconscious thoughts and movements? As someone who has experienced paranormal activity and leans a bit more into the spiritual and mysticism side of life, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think that there are experiences that are genuine and true, but I believe more often than not, most accounts are fraudulent. At the end of the day, it's a wooden board with a plastic piece. And that's really all it is. If demonic entities really wanted to talk to you, they're not going to wait around for you to pick up your board on a night that you invited your friends over and you're all three shots deep in tequila. <laughs> now, the old ancient looking ones, yeah, I don't go near those. They have to have ties to entities or other worlds. I just, I don't want to chance it. Thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode of Myths and Magic. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this project. I've been a horror and mythology lover since I can remember, and being able to write, produce, and create for this passion project is incredibly rewarding. So, here's to the first episode and many more to come. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with myths and magic and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at mythsandmagicpod or join the Patreon community for early access and get even more spooky vibes. <laughs> anyway, until the next episode, I will see you on the next episode. Stay spooky, friends.